we believe that there's a, um, a life cycle that data goes through and a key part of it is what users want to do in finding data and we believe that they want to find it they then want to appraise the data set so that's when you're having a look at it lay it up with other data sets that you might be searching on um, you then want to access it and that's where the data formats are really important Hello and welcome to another episode of the Mapscape podcast. My name is Daniel and this is a podcast where I interview people that are doing really incredible things in the geospatial world. Today I'm going to be talking to Anne. She comes to us from Coordinates, it's a New Zealand based company and uh, they're doing some really, really cool stuff with uh, a GIS portal they've developed down there. It's, it's actually a little bit more than that and it was really great talking to Anne and getting her perspective on where GIS is going and where geospatial is going as an industry. I hope you enjoy the interview. Hi, welcome Anne. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Oh, hi. Well, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> You're more than welcome. It was a little bit difficult to, to organise this meeting, but I'm really glad we did. And it's wonderful to be talking to a fellow New Zealander. Yeah, it was so exciting that you've made your way down here for our summer. Yeah, welcome back home. <laughs> Thanks very much. For those people that don't know, I've been visiting New Zealand my, I'm from New Zealand, as you might have guessed from my accent, and I've been down here for the last uh, six weeks and thought while I was here, I'd make good use of my time and try and get a hold of Anne from Coordinates. It's the company that she's from, and it's the company we're going to be talking about today. And these guys are doing something really interesting. But maybe you could start off, Anne, by telling us a little bit about the Coordinates platform. Sure. Um, so the Coordinates platform is designed to get geospatial data sets really easily accessible to professionals and the public and just anyone basically so we developed this platform um or oh, the i met the founders about 10 years ago uh, when they first launched it and it was yeah created because at the time it was just so hard to get hold of geospatial data it was hard to find it it was hard to even if you did find it to uh, get it in the format that you needed for your own systems. Um, it meant it was quite locked up within small GIS communities. You had to know people and know the types of data sets that you even wanted or to be able to look for. Um, yeah, so we created this platform so that people could find, share and publish the data sets, yeah, the geospatial data sets that they needed. And I've actually been had the been fortunate enough to use this platform a couple of times, and I can say it's a web-based platform. And um, but maybe you could tell us a little bit more about some of the features of the platform. But how what would my what would my journey look like as a person coming onto your site, looking to find some geospatial data? Ah, oh, so if you go to coordinates.com, um, there's a whole range of Creative Commons licensed open data sets that you'll be able to see that have been published by our publisher clients. So you'd say you were looking for some aerial photography in New Zealand. Um, you'd jump on coordinates.com. You might type in the area that you want and it would return to you all the data sets with those keywords that you could then overlay on a map. So you can actually see 
the data sets and query it on the map. Um, yeah, on the mapping window. So. And as I recall, you can choose. Uh, what, what, one of the things I really like about coordinates is that it's incredibly easy to search for data. And you said you can type in an area that you're interested to, but you can always zoom into areas and you can draw bounding boxes. And it just seems like a really intuitive way of finding data, even by the different kind of publishers. So I, I was really impressed by that. I found in the past with some geos, geospatial portals that it's been really difficult to actually find the data, to see the data. And you guys seem to do a really great job of doing that all in one, easy to find and easy to see, as well as you can export to a variety of different formats, I believe. Could you say a little bit more about that? Oh, sure. Yes. Yeah, so well, that's great to hear that you find the user experience good and searching for the stuff you need. Um so the different, yeah, the part of the accessibility, or we believe that there's a, um, a life cycle that data goes through, and a key part of it is what users want to do in finding data, and we believe that they want to find it, they then want to appraise the data set, so that's when you're having a look at it, lay it up with other data sets that you might be searching on. Um, you then want to access it, and that's where the data formats are really important. Um, traditionally, I found that sort of the GIS community had their formats that they use, and even with them, you have proprietary formats, and then you've got the CAD users, which, so I talk about formats, but usually that lends itself to sort of types of communities, so um, designers and architects and um, town planners might be using CAD or GeoPDF, so none of that matters within the platform. You can download in whichever format you use. It doesn't matter what the publisher has loaded, their, what format they've loaded the data set into the platform as. Um, and there's also you can um, take API keys and create an API. So it means that if I've published something, say I've published a data set of New Zealand rivers, um, it, you don't have, as a user, you have no clue what I've published it in. Um, you just want to use it in your own system so that you can come and choose from our, our set types of formats and um, access it in that way. But that, that API, that's really interesting. So it, when you talk about that, it sounds like you can set up almost like a, a ping every three weeks or something, go to this data set and get a new one. Is that the way it works? Or Yes, that's exactly right. So that you can be... You don't have to know because often I would find I used to work um, as a geospatial analyst for about 10 years doing consultancy and working for government departments. Um, and when I set up projects, you know, I might have 15 different data sets. And then when I come back to that project seven months later, um, I have no clue how frequently those data sets have been updated. Some of them you might know, but it's a mission to go back and contact all those producers and then find out when the most recent one was. Um, the beauty of having the APIs is you can set them up so that they take down the regular updates from all the publishers. And that's where the platform is going in the future as well to start automating and make that part of the journey a lot easier so that the professional at the end of the um, sort of, of the data supply chain is able to um, yeah, have automatic updates flowing through. I, I think that's really great. Um... I, when I'm not visiting my friends and family here in New Zealand, I, I live and work in Denmark, and uh, they have not the same sort of system as what you've built, but they definitely are right into the idea of open data, and they've published a lot of data, and it's 
reasonably easily accessible, but that um, they're getting updates. They update them, but only on the platform themselves. And it's really difficult to actually get to, to drag those updates down and store them locally, which is a huge problem for, for GIS people. So I, I love the idea that you've thought of that and you've built it into the system that it's baked in there. That, okay, I can set, the, set this key up. I can set this little script up on your site so I don't have to script myself. I'm assuming that's the way it works anyway. And I can uh, constantly pull data down or as needed anyway. Yes, and at the moment, you still have to know how to use API keys to be able to do that with our platform. But the future of the product is very much focused on um, improving that data supply chain and just making it really easy for the people who don't even know what APIs are to be able to um, consume data sets with frequent updates. Yeah, so that's really our focus that, for the that, future. That's, that sounds great. As a GIS user myself, I think that sounds amazing, being able to do that and set it up easily. Do you also offer web services? Yes, um, we have WFS and WMTS. Um, yeah. Is, is that tiled yeah, on the site so, or does it have to be tiled when I upload it? If I'm a publisher and when I upload to your site, will your back end, will that tile the data for me? Yes, it will. Okay, yeah. that's really cool. That's really cool. Yeah. I'd have to ask our engineers about more of that and we've got heaps on our support site. But yeah, um, our publishers use that at the moment, especially for the... Um, the um, Land Information New Zealand are our, one of our key customers um, and they have their own data service. So I guess how the data services work is, say, a customer, um, you know, a publishing customer like Land Information New Zealand um, pays us for their copy of their version of their data service and anything that is marked Creative Commons and open um, will be dual published on coordinates.com so a lot of their customers will go directly to their Land Information New Zealand data service um, and they publish out the New Zealand topographic um, to, yeah, 1 to 50,000 series and that all goes out on um, their LINS data service and so they use that functionality quite a lot. I've got this great platform where it's data it is discoverable and I can download it in different formats. I have APIs, I can... I can call and I have web services I can drag into my to my own web clients. So it sounds like you do a lot in terms of distributing data. Is, is that the problem you're trying to solve, just distributing data, or is there something more going on behind the scenes? Oh, I love the question. So our first 10 years, we were that's where we started and that's what our focus was. It was a very much one-to-one um, -one relationship. We, we approached the market with, you know, there are all these big publishers like large government organisations or large corporations who want to um, publish data out to their stakeholders. And so we just looked at it one-to-one -one and we're like, great. Over 10 years, we've really achieved that. But what we've learned in the process is it's actually a lot more of a, um, an ecosystem of uh, people and companies and organisations and stakeholders sharing data sets amongst each other. So, our, yeah, our starting point was great. But what we're looking at now is how we can, we, well, what we've come up in the last year is this idea of the geospatial data supply chain. And we believe that data distribution is more like a supply chain like you'd find in other products 
where there are many different steps and many different points of value add, but also that people need to share data back to each other. So that's where the focus is for the next period, which is how we can create and a better user experience for people to be able to share data between each other. So already you can do stuff like um, you can have private groups sharing data sets and, you know, regulate the permissions, but we're looking at building tools a lot wider than just that. Yeah. Sounds really, uh, really forward thinking, actually, really forward thinking. Yeah, well, we want to make it really easy for people and to just treat data like other products and like code is treated um that geospatial data is still often quite challenging to get hold of and we believe that with our tools we've achieved that but the next part is like right how can we make it so seamless because the more seamless we make it and the less expertise required to actually source and um, sort of manipulate the data for your use the more people that will be using it and the more value you'll be getting from your your data assets do you see yeah. the same kind of approach in, in other areas or other uh, data silos almost? Because right now we're talking specifically about geospatial data. Is there, and, and you made the comparison before to other products and to code, um, do you see other sort of data silos taking a same approach as what you're trying to do? Um, I, Not the same approach, I don't think. Yeah. I haven't seen an example of what we're doing with data. So not just geospatial data, like it's still hard to find data sets of any type, um, especially often you're locked into an enterprise architecture. So within an enterprise architecture, it's, it may not be too challenging to share data sets and edit between them, but yeah, between architectures so what I mean by that is you know if everyone is using um, one type of software they will create tools to make it easier for you to use it within that software ecosystem which is great for you and your friends but it's no good for someone that's using your competitors tools or something that's completely out of your tool set um, that wants to start using your data yeah so, I mean, that's why, and you mentioned before how Denmark is really into open data and standards and um, uh, formats. That's how our, what our platform's built for as well because we believe that um, we just want to make it easy for everybody to use um, everybody else's data as they need and to be able to use the tools that are best for their job and for their purpose rather than being forced into something just because they've got it. I like what you said before about you were trying to, it almost sounded like you're trying to cut out the middleman, make it as easy and accessible as possible and sort of get away from these experts that, that have their own little domain and, and are the gatekeepers. And and I, I really like that idea. I think I'm with you on this. I think we should have more data out there, more accessibility, and we'll see a lot more interesting things starting to happen. Yeah, I oh, cool to hear. Because I remember a couple of years ago, I was talking to a lecturer at um, the Media Design School. And so they're all, um, you know, web design and um, they create video games and all sorts of things. But it's all about media and design and just the way they talked about plug and play architecture. And I'd never thought about 
anything as plug and play architecture before because I've worked in places with massive enterprise agreements that are trying to get their big enterprise things to talk to each other. And because they're proprietary, they've, you know, end up with these bespoke tools to help bridge those gaps. Whereas talking to these, the idea of plug and play, I love it because it just means if everyone's designing to open standards, then they can pick up and use what other people are using and then just plug in there, whether it's an app or a data set or um, a platform and just have it talk to everything else that they're doing and make the tools that they use really outcomes focused and really about delivering what um yeah, what the job at hand or what they need rather than trying to retrofit a tool that they have. Yeah. Do you think that we're, so now we're talking specifically, we've talked a lot about architecture, you know, these these uh, systems that need to talk together so we can all have access to data and it can sort of be more accessible and move freely around the community. And we've had this battle and it's ongoing battle with file formats. But what, what do you think we're going to see the same thing in terms of people's skills? Are we going to go away from the idea of the professional or the, not the professional, sorry, but like that gatekeeper GIS person doing GIS? You know, I am doing GIS. In the future, are we going to talk not so much about doing GIS and geospatial? We're we just going to talk about data analysis, do you think? Is that where we're headed? I do. Yeah, I do. And I think that's always, I feel that's been a huge goal of geospatial people. A lot of geospatial people have felt that everyone should be using it. You know, there's a, ge there's a small geospatial component to so many things, but it's not the core. And it's just been a bit of a disconnect. We've been a, yeah, an industry that's sat out because of this issue with file formats and projections and not being able to communicate that or have the tools to make that really easy, easily integratable with folks doing other things. Um, and as those lines, as, you know, companies like ourselves try to make that easier and easier, there's going to be more and more of an uptake. And I believe that um, the types of questions and the analysis that people will be doing will be geospatial will be a component of it and it will be really important that that data scientist understands geospatial in there but the geospatial won't be, it won't be all geospatial based yeah and I find that with hiring as well like when we talk about you know companies like ourselves we need the types of people that we're hiring and that we need is sort of salespeople who understand spatial we need um, web designers, we need developers, we need all these people doing all these different roles that need to have an understanding of geospatial. But we don't have any core geospatial analysts, so we don't have core GIS operators, but we're an inherently geospatial company. And I think there are more and more roles popping up like that where you need that, um, yeah, a solid understanding of what geospatial is as part of the rest of your role. I think there will definitely be, the other thing I do see is there's like a deep dive roles where you have, you know, full on remote sensing specialists. Um, so there will be core roles out there. But I feel um, if you're interested in the analytical side of GIS, then I think that it would be awesome to be a data scientist with um, a really, really solid geospatial background. Yeah, that's what I'm seeing here though. How do you find it in Denmark? Is it um, I think, uh, I think in general throughout the industry, I think we're moving away from the, from the GIS specialist personally. I mean, I think I can't foresee a time where that 
that role will be completely gone, at least not within the next you know, 10, 15 years. And this, this mm. is just my humble opinion. But I, I see more and more the software is enabling so much more. Systems are enabling so much more. Open data is enabling so much more. You know, all this accessibility around all of these things are making it that not anyone, you need to have an understanding of it, but mm. it's easier to get in and it's easier to start. And you can, Esri, I think, has done a great job of showing us, okay, things can be, you know, push the button, you know, drag and drop the boxes together in their model builder and you can run it and you can be a data scientist. Mm. I mean, you still have to understand what you're doing. That's a very important part of this. But you don't need to be a coder anymore. You don't need to be that that really hardcore data scientist that has a background in seven different languages, you know, coding languages. I think those days are gone for Mm. So I, I think that's where we're heading. And uh, often I get asked what I have a um, an Instagram account and I communicate a lot on Instagram with these ideas of geospatial and ask questions and things like that. And because Instagram as a social media skews young, so there's lots of people out there that ask me, hey, what what should I do? What should I learn? You know, what if I if you were doing this again, what would you learn at university? And yeah, I, sometimes I just don't know what to tell these people. I'm not quite, I think that you need to be more of a generalist, a good understanding. I think coding is important because it gives you that understanding. But yeah, I don't know if it's the uh, the future. Yeah, because I, when I studied, I did environmental science and economics because those are the two things that I was really interested in. And I did a couple of GIS papers on top of it. Um, and then when I worked for, I worked for the Department of Conservation here in New Zealand for um, a good five years. And I was their geospatial analyst. So the types of questions I would get asked are, you know, where should we put a marine reserve? And then I would go and find all the different data sets that I could that would help model our marine environment and then overlay the, um, yeah, the existing marine reserve network and then do some calculations so I could report back what percentage of different types of ecosystems that we've protected. And that was the stuff that I was really interested in, was the outcome and getting and doing the analytical piece. But my job was very broad because I had to find those data sets. I then had to um, manipulate them into formats and, yeah, I had to do all sorts of work to prepare them for the types of analysis, then do the analysis, then do the presentation, do the statistics, um, and then write up all the, you know, because explain it really, really well, the limitations of the analysis. So, I mean, that's a really broad role. And I remember at the time coming out with statistics and just being like, well, I did sort of, you know, one or two papers at university and now I'm doing really important, complex statistical analysis with models that I don't deeply understand, you know, with tools that I don't deeply understand. I can't tell you how it's found the center point or should I have converted to a raster and done this in raster rather than vector, all that kind of stuff. And I think that would be where I'd be interested in now is a data scientist could now take up that deep analytical piece and focus on understanding mathematical methodologies and best practices and then bring in the geospatial on top of that. And then while you'd have a designer would be able to create the maps to be able to communicate what a decision has been made and you'd have the right people to QA it. So I can see how, you know, a task like that, that could be separated out into several different people's jobs. Um, so I guess what I would say to people in general is sort of follow your interest. 
what are you deeply interested in? Because my colleagues, they, you know, they were really interested in the coding side. So for them, it's like, yeah, if you're more interested in the coding side, that all the data preparation side, all the analytical, all the design, then follow that and, um, yeah, learn the geospatial in context of your other interests. So it sounds like uh, in geospatial, there's room for everyone. I feel so, I feel that way. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because I even see I'm chair of our um, industry business association as well, and we talk a lot about hiring staff and um, skills. And because we hire often from overseas in New Zealand, we've got it on our skills shortage list because we need more people with geospatial skills. But you know, often people are saying we need salespeople who understand geospatial. So, um, and people need project managers who understand geospatial. So I really feel that it's, it's really broad, um, the types of roles that geospatial can be coupled with. And the more people we can get upskilled in it, the better. But as a, yeah, if you're solely focusing on geospatial, I think I'd make it something quite specialised like remote sensing or data science. Yeah. That's that. I think I think you're right. I think that's some really good advice, and I like that idea that we need salespeople. You're talking probably specifically about your business that you need salespeople, but uh, I've worked as a consultant, and you almost need that salesperson kind of touch, that ability to communicate, to come out and, like you were saying before, to explain. Okay, we did this analysis, and this is the results. But that communication, that yeah, getting the message across. I think that's something that probably most GIS people haven't been traditionally that strong in, in that or haven't had that skill. I, I definitely didn't when I first started. But, you know, selling the idea like, hey, we can we can do so much in geospatial. I think this is a classic one. You can do so much. There's so much potential out there. Technology is developing all the time. And we, we're getting more and more access to data and different tools. And everything is just, you know, it's developing. It's moving on but you need to be really good at selling that idea into your colleagues, into your business, into whatever organization you're working with to get them on board. And I think that's a really important skill. Yeah, absolutely. And we've got the New Zealand Spatial Excellence Awards and the Asia Pacific Spatial Excellence Awards. And part of the reason um, we, we have really good uptake in those, we have huge amounts of entrance. Um, we've had winners go on to the Asia Pacific Um yeah, it's been really positive, but part of the reason why we see that as an industry being so important is to be able to tell our story about why geospatial, what it is, why it's important, how it can optimise your business. Because often you might have a small GIS team who are sort of trying to shout at the top of their lungs, you know, we're really important, look at the value we can add to your this business and look what we're doing, but we need more funding to be able to, you know, maintain data sets to the standards that you want to be able to have the insights for. So, yeah, we do a huge amount of work um, as an industry to do that, but I agree as a, as a technical specialist, you're usually not into that, into the deep technical dives because you like selling, but it's, yeah... It's something that I found, like you say, as a consultant, when I was consulting, I really had to do a lot of that as well. Hmm, just trying to make people understand what they're getting and what they can do with it. I, th I think we've talked, we've had, a, mm. I've really enjoyed this conversation about the what I feel is the future of GIS and, and 
well, the geospatial industry in general. That, that's been really good. But just before we completely lose track of what we're supposed to be talking about, oh, yeah. I'd, <laughs> I'd, I'd really like to talk about, um, first thing, just to clarify, we talked a lot about New Zealand at the start, but you like other there's data sets from other countries on your website, isn't there? It's not just New Zealand data? Yes, yeah. We've got a few data sets from overseas as well. Um, we've got a lot from the USA at the moment, um, but none of them are from United States publishers. They're all freely available data sets that we've taken and put on, put on coordinates.com um, to help the um, yeah to help the people of the US uh, have access because in the US I mean they've got so many different states and counties and cities such a large country and also their laws for data make it easy for us to take and put and make available on coordinates.com um, we've got we've we've got a publisher about to launch in Australia as well so we're doing a lot of work to head into Australia at the moment um, and there are a few other data sets around the world that are available too. But most of the data on there has come from um, New Zealand publishers. So they all have their own data service site. And then it's um, dual published on coordinates.com. Okay. Um, and publishers, are there any restrictions around publishing? Can I just show up tomorrow on coordinates, make a, make a login and publish whatever I like? Not at the moment. So at the moment, um, it's all down to um, publishers because the publishers are paying coordinates for the storage and the services so that um, professionals and the public can access their data sets. So this is how we coordinates is really born out of the open data movement. And that's why that model exists, because um, we believe that there was all this data locked up in New Zealand agencies and they just wanted to get it out to the public for the betterment of New Zealand. Um, and that's where we're at at the moment. Um, our roadmap for the future, though, because we're creating, um, we will be creating tools for people to be able to share data sets and work, um, work collaboratively um, through sharing data, it will change. Yeah, so watch this space. <laughs> We will do. So because you're kind of vetting these publishers, they're paying for the right to, to distribute data through your website. Does that kind of get you ar around that uh, the problem of vetting the data as well? Yeah, we're very much about um, authoritative data. So because publishers are really concerned about, they want to be represented well, they really care for their brand and they care for their users. So that's the motivation for keeping data sets and in, you know, with good metadata and a quality condition published. So that's why we don't get a lot of random out of date stuff that's been published. I'll give you an example. Occasionally we'll get someone saying they would like to publish somebody else's data. And we're like, well, that's illegal because you don't own it. So that's kind of why we don't have to vet because each publisher is paying us to publish their own data sets. 
Yeah, that's it's it's a, I think that's a really important point to make that these these publishers are paying and they are vetted and they have a vested interest in making sure that they provide the best possible product. It's just when you're talking at the start of this conversation, you're talking about making closed groups and being able to share within groups and and doing things like that. Mm. And you made you almost made a comparison to social media, and we can see on social media the things that do really well and create a lot of attention are not necessarily the things that always contain the most truth yeah oh absolutely because it would be so easy well you know if there's a data set that people want and someone who doesn't own that data set creates it and then publishes it or were able to share it and then it got used widely that could be a problem and it may not be legal and that's not the space that yeah we want to get involved in um so yeah there are risks around it but yeah we have yeah so that's why at the moment it's just publishers who are paying us for their um yeah their site and their services yeah can you can you give us an idea of do you have any stats that would kind of show us how much data is moving through the system or how many requests or yeah yeah yeah. give us an idea of the scale of this Okay, well, we've got 50,000 users. Um, most of our users are in New Zealand, and New Zealand has a population of just under 5 million, so I feel that's a lot of people. Um, we've got 14,000 data sets on there. Uh, we've got 18 terabytes of data that are stored, and um, we've got 3 billion data queries per annum, and that's all growing. So especially the data queries, because I feel the API and more and more people are automating their data updates. Um, yeah, I remember when I started three years ago, I talked to some customers and they, they weren't, or, you know, professionals that weren't really using APIs that weren't really sure what they were or why you'd bother um, with a data set to build an API for it for, and why you'd want a data service when, instead of streaming it. But I feel people are a lot more confident in the last three years about what it means to have stuff stored in the cloud and why you'd pull copies down and why you'd want data updated regularly. And, yeah, I really feel that's growing hugely. Yeah, I agree. I'm sh- I'm, well, I know and I can hear that there's a, a, a massive amount of awareness around that now that it's important. And also things are changing so fast. I mean, we're getting constantly new updates and that means models have to be you know, edited and then your data all of a sudden is, yeah, it's out of date. So yeah, I can completely understand why people are interested in those updates. What about storing things in the cloud? I know in, in Denmark, there, this, I think there's even, there's rules around what we can store in other countries or on the, in the cloud. Like mm. they need to be hosted, some data sets anyway, need to be physically hosted in Denmark. We can't just publish them anywhere. Oh, so in New Zealand, um, we re- we have a cloud security risk assessment that is run by a government department, and New Ze- we were we're approved to host our data on the cloud in Sydney, um, on AWS. So that's where our, we're stored. Um, in New Zealand, as you would know, we have. We've had some major earthquakes in the last couple of years. So from an emergency management point of view, um, it is desirable to have things stored offshore as well. Um, 
but yeah we're also limited to the countries that we can have things um yeah cloud date or data can be stored on i know yeah i think my yeah so i know that we're approved for new zealand government yeah that, that's actually really interesting i obviously i was very aware of the earthquakes but i never considered that use case where people would be storing data like it's this essentially a kind of infrastructure other places for security yeah. safety reasons that's that's really interesting well we had earthquakes in wellington a couple of years ago and people were just evacuated from buildings and of course this has happened in christchurch and we had another one in kokoda but um yeah people evacuated from the office and they had stuff stored on their hard drives and they're never allowed to go back in and get it so especially for really large data sets where sometimes your business they may not you know when you're talking about terabytes and terabytes of data um, it may just be sitting on a server and not backed up in the cloud and if you're suddenly evacuated from your office that's it it's completely gone and that's yeah happened a couple of times so i think that helped move or push people towards cloud solutions yeah of course i mean that makes it really does make perfect sense Hey, um, we're, we're coming to the end of our time together. I was wondering if you could tell us where we can go to learn more about coordinates and, and what you guys are up to. Oh, awesome. Um, yeah, if you head to our website, we're kcoordinates.com um, and we've got heaps of information there. Get in touch. We've got, um, uh, yeah, we've got, just contact me on email. Um, I'm anne.harper at coordinates.com if you have any questions. And we do have a trial. So if people want to have a go with um, creating their own data service, uh, we do have a month free trial where people can, yeah, start one up and have a play. Yeah, and follow us on Twitter because we will be releasing a lot of new things this year, which is really exciting for us. That sounds great. Thank you so much for your time. Pleasure talking to you. Oh, thank you so much for the interview. And that's the end of another episode of the Mapscaping Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show today. As always, a full transcript of these podcast episodes is available at mapscaping.com and you are more than welcome to get in touch with us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. Talk soon. Bye.